cashing in the money in the bank. Somewhere where the conditions work extremely well in my favor. The bodies hit the... Judy Lovett at one night stand. Wait a minute, he can't do that, can he? Yes, he can. It'll be the first WWE title defense in an ECW ring in the history of both companies. If Rob Van Dam wins the WWE Championship, it goes to ECW. Renamed the ECW World Title. That would be the blackest day in the history of this illustrious company. I hope you're prepared for this hardcore action and this extremely judgmental crowd. They can't wait to boo you right out the freaking door. Just because I gotta go to your house and play by your rules, you think for one minute that makes me scared? Van Dam has absolutely no fear. ECW is RBD's day. Can John Cena survive? I fear nothing and regret less. You have pissed off the wrong fire-breathing son of a bitch. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr., and with me this week is my good friend, Mr. Wednesday Night Live, even though it is Thursday, uh, Alo Aaron Lloyd. Um, it is good to be back. Uh, we are going to be reviewing ECW One Night Stand 2006. Um, before we get into that, I think I'm just going to say real quick, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I hate to, to do this while I'm laughing, um, but Black Lives Matter. Um, haven't been on this show in a while. Uh, have been working on like another project that's been taking up a lot of my time. Um, and I think with everything happening right now between you know the whole pandemic and like I've been back to work full time for over a month, so there's like a lot of anxiety that I deal with, like being around the public every day, not knowing like who's healthy, who's not. Um, obviously, like the the racial tension that is going on, you know, all around the country. Uh, there's a lot happening, and I don't know, Alo. Obviously, how you're feeling about it. We haven't really discussed it at all. I haven't discussed it with many people. I have been finding it very difficult recently to, like, focus on anything. Like, I feel disconnected from everything. Like, I watched this pay-per-view over the last two days, and halfway through it, I was like, I usually have, like, opinions and thoughts, even if I'm, like, not enjoying it. I'll have notes where it's, like, a thought that I have that might be, like, a different thought than other people have or whatever. Or I'll try to find some comedic thing in there. I realize, like, halfway through, like, nothing is, like, getting, like, penetrating into my brain. I'm just watching this, and I'm, like, writing notes about what happened, but I'm, like, I'm not feeling anything. You know, we have news of the NBA restarting. I'm not excited about it. Like, I don't care. And there's, like, nothing really that I'm interested in right now. And a lot of it is because of, like, what's going on around us. So, obviously, I am not... uh I'm not a, a black man. You are. Um, you sure? 
I am, and I and I know that you. Uh, I know you love to refer to me as being black, and which I appreciate. I take it as a compliment. It it always makes me smile when you say it. But you know, and as as much as much fun as we have with that type of thing, like I have never had to have the existence of like walking into the world as someone who is not white. Um, I've had a lot of black friends throughout my life. I've had you know black girlfriends throughout my life. I've known. Older black people, I've known younger black people, um, but I have never personally had that experience. I've seen things, um, but never have had to have that personal experience. Um, and I've had trouble, like I haven't really posted on social media about it at all because I feel like at this point it's hollow or it's almost like a trendy thing just to to post about it. Um, I have tried to like focus more of my attention on things I can actually do to try to be helpful in a more concrete way. Um, and I don't want to put you on the spot and you don't have to talk about this at all if you don't want to, but I know, uh, the Matt Madness Instagram account had a, uh, a Black Lives Matter post the other day with the Nation of Domination, which I, I was happy to see. Um, <laughs> like, what are your thoughts right now and how are you, like, how are you feeling right now? Well, I know um, I'm the, the the PLP guy, power positivity guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll make a joke, and, and, and like you saw me get in a car accident, and I crack a joke right after that. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I'm all about fun and fun. I'm a fun loving guy. I'm all about that happy stuff. And this stuff is this stuff. Like I don't really like to talk about. You know, like I'm aware. Like if I had to, I could turn to Tupac if I have to. <laughs> like I think I tell a lot of people. But um, well, for me personally, um, where to start? Well, I do want to say this. Seeing, well, don't take this the wrong way, but you'll get where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Like with, with when it comes to the the, um, the peaceful protest and looting, uh, it's all for the same cause. But one of Black people's problem is they never like united on like how to handle things, and that's that's a pretty normal thing. But the cause is the same; they all want the same result. And I'm not going to argue anybody about how they should feel because. Have I done ra- have I dealt with racial stuff in the past? A few things, um, and, and some people might probably have dealt with more than I have. So, and that's why they're going about these things this way. And I'll use the analogy of if a bully, if a bully, hits, how many times he gonna do it until you punch him back? You know. So, as far as everything going on, like, the, like the looting stuff, that's not for me because that became ridiculous with people coming from out of state. I have friends that are cops. Specifically, the one that happened in Delaware, he saw people coming from out of state and stuff. And then, if you see some of the camera shots of people of, uh, of reporters asking people on the street, "Hey, wh- like, wh- why are you here?" She's like, "Oh no, I'm just here to be here," you know. And th- that stuff like that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, we had a we have a local sports shop named Al's down here, and they got destroyed. And they are the ones that help fund all the little league sports with uniforms and shoes and stuff. So. Seeing them get looted and destroyed was kind of rough to see, but like as you know, I'm about to become a parent, and people keep asking me like something like, "Am I afraid or whatever?" Like the only, and I tell them the only fear I really have is having to bring them into this kind of world. You know, uh, me me personally, like I'm an introvert already, so like I kind of keep to myself. But so I understand the fact that I have to carry myself in a, in a certain way. But no matter what, somebody. I could walk out the house and anything can happen to me. I could easily be one of these people that 
are attacked by the police and become a big thing as far as the world of pop culture and everybody going in, in the entire world. So I have to like kind of like keep that in mind and teach my future child. I'm like, look, we have to do this and this and you have to carry yourself a certain way. And even though I was raised with innocence or whatever, I'm going to try to raise them with that same type of innocence to understand that it's, it's, I'm not, it's, it's sometimes people aren't going to look, people are going to look at you a different way. You can't go about things the same way as somebody else would. But uh, apparently, every, apparently, stuff starting to come together. I get, I, I guess. I heard, I saw like the uh, was it the three or four guys that they bear, they're un, they've been arrested. I believe it's been down upgraded to second degree murder. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it seems to be making progress, and now they were marching in front of the barbershop, and they had the news the Mar Aubrey ones protests, and we're in the right direction. That's what I could say, and um. It's, it's still rough to see. And you're seeing what I don't think I said this, but the thing I like watching is the white, the black and white people coming together and all the other minorities coming together because that's showing a solidarity. That, OK, you're on our side as well. And then you get the people who are who have racist qualities or whatever. Those are the ones that are like it's easy to pick them out now because you can see that mm-hmm. you can see their comments and stuff. So like the shut up. Up and dribble woman. Uh, there was a there was a wedding venue owner out in I think I think it was Middletown, Delaware, who ended up who made some comments and ended up deleting their Facebook profile. So th- the people, the racist people who have these feelings and thoughts, they're starting to get, get picked out of the bunch, and we can delete them and get rid of them <laughs> and go and go about a lot of a certain way. But I do like the unity that all races have come together about this. That's what I, that's what I can appreciate. Yeah. So like I, obviously after not having been on all this time, um, I would have felt very disingenuous coming on here and acting like what's happening in the world isn't happening. Uh, and there are some people that probably listen to this solely as an escape, but like I have done this type of thing, you know, for myself as like, an escape or like a release or, you know, a platform that I have to kind of say things that I want to say and, you know, commute, communicate things I want to communicate. So like one of the things I have been really observing, um, is the idea, a lot of like activists, specifically black activists have been talking about, you know, it's great that you want to post on your social media. It's great that you want to you know, start using the Black Lives Matter phrase. But what you really should start doing is, like, listening and elevating, like, the voices of the black people that you know. So I kind of felt like, you know, it, it was the right thing to do for me to listen to your perspective on it as opposed to me just come on here and get up on my soapbox, which is very easy to do, and I know I've <laughs> done it on this show before, and I've done it before on Ronnie versus the World. Uh, but obviously we're talking about the murder of George Floyd by a, a, a Minneapolis uh, police officer um, who has been upgraded to second-degree murder, and the other three uh, arresting officers have also uh, been put under arrest, so there was progress there. Um, and I think, like, a far be it from me to try to speak to anyone you know, in the black community about how to feel or how to handle this situation, because that's not for me to do. Um, I think the role I need to play, and this is something I've been struggling with, is like, what do I do to help? I could get on social media and say whatever the hell I want, and it's going to be like the people that follow me see it, and 
anyone whose mind is on one side, they're not going to change their mind. Like I have felt like that, like powerless to do anything. But I think the role that people like me should play is one, like I said, listening, um, taking suggestions on things we could do to help, and then trying to talk to the people around us who maybe have a mind that could be changed. Uh, so I guess the thing I want to talk about is, you know, Black Lives Matter has become such a like hot button phrase where there are people who hear it and are immediately offended or think it's like bad or negative. And to those people who are upset by the phrase Black Lives Matter, I think what you're seeing is when someone says Black Lives Matter, whether I say it, whether Aaron says it, whether Ek Two Fly, Eric Trambicki says it, whether C. Kane Joe Rodermill or <laughs> Preptagon Jr., Josh Prepagina say it, some people see it as it's being said like Black Lives Matter more than other lives. No. And that's something I see all the time, and it fucking infuriates me. Because that's not the point of it. The point of it is black lives are the one that are being like tossed aside, being told and shown time after time, like for decades and decades and centuries, that they don't matter at all or that they don't matter as much. The only thing that black lives matters means is that they matter. They matter just as much as white lives or you know blue lives whatever like there is no question about whether the other other lives matter the 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 question at hand is whether these lives are being made to matter as much as others so if you hear that phrase and your immediate response is that you're upset because they're saying their lives matter more all they're doing is asking to be treated equally and if you're offended by someone someone wanting to be like fucking equal to you like grow the fuck up You know, there's no threat in someone being equal to you. We are all equals. We should all be equals, and not everyone is treated equally, unfortunately. Um, And in this case, I think it's especially uh, disgusting because it's not even just that, you know, there's less opportunity for, you know, black men or black women or or black children. Um, It's that lives are being taken away, like... Children are losing parents over this. Uh, Kids are not getting to, like, grow up and become adults over this. Like, that's what we're talking about here. This is not a political issue. This is not Democrat versus Republican. This is not, like, liberal versus conservative. This is a human issue, a human rights issue. And I kind of wish I would have written some notes down because I'd like to be a little bit more cohesive in what I'm saying. But I wanted to speak more from the heart. And another thing that really, like, irritates me is I see so many white people who are complaining about what's happening right now using Martin Luther King as as an example. Well, Martin Luther King stood for nonviolence, and that's the way you should do it. He was fucking murdered. So talk that shit all you want about how he was peaceful. His life ended by being murdered for what he did. And there were polls taken. Like, there's approval ratings for everything. Before Martin Luther King died, I'm pretty sure he had, like, a 70% negative uh, rating from the American public. So he was not viewed positively when he was doing these peaceful protests that you all are praising now. So you can't tell me that, oh, he did things the right way when he was largely unpopular at the time he was doing them. And that the things that he did led to his own murder because of them. So don't tell people how to protest. Because Colin Kaepernick protested peacefully, and he became one of the most hated people in the country. Don't tell uh, athletes 
that they should stick to sports because guess what? Like if if I work with you at a pharmacy and you t- say LeBron James should stick to sports, you should stick to fucking pharmaceuticals. How about that? <laughs> That's the only thing you're allowed to talk about because you're not a fucking politician. Your president, Donald Trump, he should stick to reality TV and failing businesses because that's what he does. You know, I don't understand why you say that these these young men who have grown up in these communities, who have a platform, uh, who have like a voice that most other people don't, why they can't use their voice to try to uplift people like themselves, why they can't shine a light on some of the problems they've dealt with, some of the problems their family members and friends have dealt with, their children are dealing with, their grandchildren are going to deal with. I don't see why they shouldn't be allowed to say those things. And you mentioned Laura Ingram, who said LeBron James and Dwayne Wade should shut up and dribble. Well, Drew Brees came out and said some shit about disrespecting the flag and the country. Drew Brees, fuck you. Um, But Laura Ingram came out and said, well, he's allowed to have an opinion. Go fuck yourself, (laughs) you stupid fucking asshole. What like you can't you honestly can't paint to me that racism isn't real when you see something that blatant. This black basketball player should be grateful for what he's getting and he should stick to shut up and dribble. But Drew Brees, oh, he's allowed to say what he wants about the flag. That's fucking blatant. Like if, if you don't see this shit, you're either um you know, a bad faith actor who just is racist and does not like black people and wants them to shut up and dribble like there's that part of it or you're just like ignorant and i don't mean this in the sense of like you're unintelligent or you're incapable of understanding but what i'm and i'm not even talking about her she's just a piece of shit but like there are people who do and say these things that maybe are just ignorant not that they can't understand it but they just don't at the moment um i don't know i feel like they're I, i agree with you that like it is good to see in a lot of these uh, protests and demonstrations, there's a lot of diversity there. There are a lot more white people standing alongside black people than we've seen before. Um, I think this issue, and th- this is like another thing that has to go to like credit Colin Kaepernick. He started a very large conversation four years ago when he started doing this. And part of why we've progressed, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's a ton of progress, but one of the reasons why we've made some of the progress we've made between the Mike Brown shooting in 2013 or 14, whatever year that was, and uh, the George Floyd murder uh, just last week is partially because Colin Kaepernick helped open up this conversation. And I think a lot of a lot more people have had this conversation than would have had it otherwise. And I think a lot of minds have changed. Like you all have heard me talk shit on Randall Orton for years on this podcast. (laughs) And I don't want to give him too much credit because like, Jesus, you should have figured this shit out by now. But I will give him credit that he has finally figured it out. You know, and he said it as plainly and simply as someone could say it. He tweeted Black Lives Matter and got a bunch of shit for it from his probably, you know, white trash followers. Um, And then he explained, you know, I finally realized that all lives do matter. But until black lives matter, all lives don't. And it's like so to the point. And it was it was refreshing. I said it in the group chat like, whoa, did not expect to see this from Randy Orton. Um, And who would have thought Randy Orton would have uh, a better week handling this than Chris Jericho, my (laughs) personal greatest of all time, hit us with basically an all lives matter uh, 
you know, statement on social media, it, it broke my heart a little bit. Um, and definitely like knocked him down a few notches in my heart. But I mean, anyone out there listening to this, whether you're, whether you're black, whether you're white, I don't care what your ethnicity is. Everyone in this country, if we truly are the greatest country on earth, which many of you believe that this is, the only way for this country to be as great as you think it is or as great as you want it to be is if all of its citizens are given as much of a chance at an equal opportunity to to succeed and pursue what they want in life. And we don't have that right now. And I don't think you anyone should be viewing this as a negative that people are fighting for the right to be considered equal, are fighting to just not be killed um, for, for, for just leaving their houses. Uh, I'm a white person who, you know, I've committed small crimes before. I've shoplifted. Uh, I've knocked out windows at bars down the shore. Uh, <laughs> I've been pulled over numerous times for, for different, you know, vehicle-related violations. And most of the time, I've been able to just get out of it. If I, if I get pulled over because my car registration isn't up to date, do you know what happens to me? I explain, oh, I forgot. And the officer will, like, write me a ticket and say, get your car registered by the time you have to appear in court. And as long as you can prove that your car was registered, um, you know, I'll just take away the ticket. This has happened to me, like, five times. You know, I have... I don't know if I've ever registered my like re like updated my registration in my car on time ever. I end up waiting until I get pulled <laughs> over, and when I get pulled over, I get a citation written. I get my car registered. I go to court and I say, "Okay, my car is registered," and then I don't have to pay the ticket. And I get some time out of work. You know, I get to leave work to go to court <laughs> and get this taken care of. Um, you know, my inspection, same thing. I'm almost always past inspection. I get pulled over. I explain, oh, I forgot. Sorry. They write me the ticket. I get to go to court and say I've done it in the time since, and it gets taken away. Um, that is like a privilege that I have. That is part of my white privilege. Um, and I really probably shouldn't even be saying it in a joking way because if I was not white, there's a chance I could get pulled over for something that stupid and end up never making it back home. So I really think this is an issue that people – one, I'm happy a lot of people have woken up to it, and I, I hope that a lot more people do. And I hope people can understand what Black Lives Matter really means. It, it is not taking away from anyone else. It is simply saying that this is a group of people who have been marginalized for way too long who just want to be treated equally and, like, they matter just as much as you do. Um, I feel like there's probably some stuff I wanted to say that I didn't <laughs> and some stuff I probably said in a way that I wish I had said better. But I guess the best thing that I can say is um, I am on the right side of history. I will do whatever I can um, in, you know, in my life to try to make these situations better. I have donated to a few causes or a few organizations that help with these causes. I have signed every petition I've seen on social media I've written emails to like local representatives and state representatives. Um, and yeah, I think I'm, I'm done doing the social media um, like advocacy because I don't think it really goes anywhere. I think it's almost like you're just performing for the people that follow you. Like you want to look cool or whatever. Yeah. That's not what I want. I want to actually do things that I feel like will make a difference. 
Um, and if anyone listening to this, I don't care who you are, if you have any idea for anything else I could be doing, should be doing to help with this situation in our country, please do not hesitate to recommend it to me. Because really, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I, I know that I am accepting of everyone. I know that I have never had uh, like a negative interaction with someone who didn't look like me. I know that I don't see people who don't look like me as lesser than. But even despite all that, even though like I have all of the best intentions in my heart, I know that I have not done everything I can do. And I think now I'm finally to the point where it's like, while what I've been doing has been good, it's not enough. And I, I want to be doing enough. Um, so, Alo, do you have any final thoughts on uh, on any of this before we, we change gears a little bit? Yes, uh, back to Laura Ingram. I hope she's uh, digesting her disinfectants. <laughs> and she should have been gone a long time ago. But it's Fox. But it's Fox. So they're not going to get rid of her. But it, it's not. just... It's just the thought of, you know, like before the gym opened this past week, I was going for jogs. And one time I just like randomly stopped. I was like, wow, somebody got jumped and killed by just casually jogging. You know, in like I, I work in the suburbs with almost half a million dollar homes, mm-hmm. you know, delivering mail, whatever. It's like. Like, some, is somebody gonna? Am I gonna experience something out here, or somebody gonna think I'm thinking like I'm not the mailman or whatever? You know, I'm in uniform or lie on me or something like that. Because I know it's I know it's real. And like I said, like the whole fact of like be, about to be a parent and having to deal with that stuff, it's just it's just rough. It's like like somebody else is like like do I want to let my kid go outside? You know, it, you know, it's just it's just it's just hard to it's just hard to think about and. Like also like growing up in Brooklyn, like at a certain point they had cops walking up and down each street and I sit outside with my friends on the stoop and granted the cops see us all the time to leave us alone, but it's just like they could just like randomly ask you, Hey, let me see some ID, you know? It just for nothing. And it could be to meet their quota. Maybe they could be having a bad day or whatever, but it's like, why are you picking on me for out of everybody? Mm-hmm. And and, and that, that that that's the stuff that that really stings is that we still have to go through this stuff today. Right. And like that. So there, there is like one more thing I kind of want to say before, before we move on to, to actual wrestling stuff. And you know what, if, if you are still listening to us, I know this, this conversation turns a lot of people off. I will not apologize for it because I think these are conversations that need to happen. And this is something that's really important to me and like is weighing very heavy on my heart right now. And I would be basically coming on here and being a liar if I didn't talk about it. But like that right there speaks to white privilege. White privilege is another thing that gets people really riled up. They get really upset when you say you have white privilege. The fact that like you obviously know better than almost anyone how often in the last year I've been going out for a run or a walk at like midnight, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and I've had people say, like, aren't you, uh, like, scared or, like, worried going out that late? And I'm like, no. Like, it never even crosses my mind that anything bad could happen to me. And I know I'm talking about something simple like jogging. But like you said, you know, someone was killed a few months ago going through a jog in the afternoon. The fact that that's something I never have to think about, never have to worry about. 
Um, that is what white privilege means. White privilege doesn't mean your life was easy. White privilege doesn't mean everything you have like was just handed to you. It doesn't mean you haven't earned anything or haven't worked for anything. What it means is like there are things you never have to worry about. There are things that you never have weighing you down or getting in your way. Obstacles that unfortunately like you have to face that I never will. That's what white privilege is. Uh, white privilege is the fact that I can get a, a speeding ticket and probably just go to court and get it taken away. Whereas you probably don't get that luxury. And I don't know. It, it's something that I think has to be acknowledged and it's something that has to be worked on. Uh, and I think there are a lot of white people, unfortunately, that are not willing to sacrifice anything to make other people's lives a little better. But fortunately, there are a lot of, of white people who are ready to make that sacrifice so that everyone else can get a more fair opportunity. Even this very simple thing, like if you looked at, if you were watching the news two weeks ago before this George Floyd story became the biggest story in the nation, what was the biggest story happening? It was these protests at state capitals and, and whatever for people wanting to reopen uh, and like ending the lockdowns and things like that due to the coronavirus. White people showing up at state capitals with guns, like armed to the teeth and bulletproof vests. Those people were just good citizens, you know, uh, executing their like First Amendment rights. But as soon as black people are protesting, just wanting to be able to live, all of a sudden these are like unruly protests. Um, it's just crazy to me how you could watch that on the news and not see the difference based on race. It's white people complaining, you, can, you can't tell me to wear a mask. And that is somehow righteous. But then there are black people coming out saying, you shouldn't be allowed to kill me. And all of a sudden, there's something wrong with what they're doing. So it's these two very different protests. One is over a bunch of bullshit. I should be allowed to go get a haircut. I should be allowed to go eat some riblets at Applebee's. That's what you're fucking showing up with guns for. But then you're uh, condemning people showing up saying, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to kill us anymore. So that double standard right there, it like should be enough to crystallize the point. Uh, and I really hope like one day we could be talking to each other and know like that, like this is behind us and we've come a long way from there. I, I feel like this is almost like the new start of, of something because I don't oh, feel yeah. like, Hopefully I don't so. feel like this one is, is going away. I don't feel like it's about to be over in a couple days. Um, and, and one, this is the last thing I'll say um, because I, I brought up Martin Luther King earlier and a lot of people have talked about, these protests and the riots and the looting and whatever. The looting, like, I'm less upset about the looting than a lot of other people because most of this shit is insured and will most likely be fine. And I'm get, I'm more upset about someone losing their life or a little girl losing her father uh, than I am about, like, a footlocker losing some sneakers. Like, I'm just not going to be too upset about that. Um, but a lot of people saying this is the wrong way to go about it. But... Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. There were protests and riots after that happened. And I believe six days after his assassination, the Civil Rights Act of 1968 was passed. So don't tell me this shit doesn't work when we have a history of when these things happen and it is like a sustained level of engagement and interest from the people, things do change. Like, 
You saw that after Martin Luther King was assassinated, and I think we will start to see some change happen when this is sustained for days or weeks at a time. And I'm looking forward to seeing that change. And anyone out there who's listening, like I hope you join the two of us on the right side of history. If you're not there yet, I hope you get there. I hope you're willing to just open your mind and see that this is a just cause, and it is a cause worth fighting for. This is not a bunch of people hysterical over nothing. Um, this is just basically, to paraphrase uh, the president's speech in Independence Day, which Cody Rhodes famously uh, reenacted <laughs> a couple years ago with the megaphone. Uh, this is about like the right to survive, uh, the right to live on. So I think that is everything I needed to say. Um, I will try to keep this wrestling focused, uh, for the rest of the time we're here. Um, and like I said, I hope you can join us on this side of, uh, of the conversation of the battle, whatever you want to consider it. So Alo, thank you for opening up about it. And if you have anything else to say, obviously feel free. It, yeah, uh, back to the people who wanted the city open to go to Applebee's for some riblets. Go to hell. Home. <laughs> who, who the hell wants some riblets from Applebee's? I know. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, grow up, go the hell home. Uh, but yeah, I, I really felt. Please. I really felt like I had to talk about it because. Oh, yeah, I knew it was coming. There's really, like, I am struggling to, like, focus on anything. Um, so now I'm going to try to talk about wrestling which I haven't done in a while. Um, I'm going to do my best to, to give an entertaining wrestling podcast now. Uh, I was going to talk about the WWE statement, but we'll, we'll save that for another day. Um, I do <laughs> want to congratulate uh, Matt Riddle uh, for getting the call up. The, the author of the Bro Hammer is now <laughs> up in the big leagues. Congratulations to him. Uh, while I don't watch WWE product anymore, I wish nothing but the best for Matt Riddle, just like a, a real treasure of the wrestling industry, Matt Riddle, like such a fun, like interesting, unique guy, fun character. And I really I have super high hopes for for Matt Riddle and what he can accomplish in WWE. And just think when we met him, uh, what year was that? Was it 2018? Uh, 18, I believe so. Yeah. 2018. We met him. I got my picture taken with him at the 2300 Arena. Um, and I remember talking to him about WWE and this was right before WrestleMania, I believe, wasn't it? Uh, I feel like that was just a couple weeks before you guys went to New Orleans. Yes. And he talked about it as if, you know, he didn't think it would ever happen for him in WWE because Dana White talked shit about him and he thought WWE wouldn't. And now here he is. Uh, you know, up in the big leagues, getting the call up. Um, is there anything else in current wrestling that you feel needs to be mentioned here before we get into one night stand? Uh, I'll give kudos to Cody and Jungle Boy for the TNT title last night on Dynamite. Other than that, nothing. <laughs> okay. And I guess I want to mention something that I obviously wasn't here for. Um, the... Uh, Hannah Kimura, I don't know if it's Hannah or Hannah, I've never heard it pronounced out loud, um, but basically being internet bullied into taking her own life. If you are a grown man bullying a woman on Twitter, 
once again, grow the fuck up. Um, you know what? Come find me. I'm not hard to find. I'm not on social <laughs> media much anymore. But if you at me, I'll fucking see it. And you could deal with me instead. Like, that type of shit really pisses me <laughs> off. And that really crystallized why I have completely disengaged from the wrestling community because of shit like that. Because it's so fucking ugly and disgusting and childish and petty. And it's so much less important than you fucking idiots are making it out to be. Um, either find a new hobby or find a, a, a woman who will tolerate you in real life, like something, <laughs> but leave that shit alone. Um, so one night stand. Oh, six Hammerstein ballroom in Manhattan. Um, ECW was like a very special thing in that, like handful of years that it was like operating as its own thing in the, the mid to late nineties. Um, it's something that I don't think will ever be replicated. Uh, now I know you were not like an ECW guy at the time. Um, but like there's WWE and as much as we can look back on the attitude era with fondness, um, without ECW, I don't know if the attitude era happens. We've talked about this before. I feel like ECW was this thing that like found its own little niche, became its own little thing, had its own group of fans and I don't know if anything else could be created like it again. Um, and I think it was really cool to be for them to be in that in that arena. You know, Paul Paul E. Heyman comes out with the ponytail and the baseball cap <laughs> on to address the crowd first. And like it was, I got very nostalgic watching it because it's like I could remember being in my basement as like a seventeen or eighteen year old watching ECW at like. 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever the hell it was. Um, and it's like, this is like that thing that so many people fell in love with. Um, so I'll ask you first, was there a specific reason you picked ECW One Night Stand 06? Yeah, because uh, this might be a throwback to you. Uh, I remember, I don't know why, but I randomly remember Russ's unsanctioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he brought he brought up a couple. I, I believe it was the Edge, Lita, Foley, McGill, um, Dreamer, and Funk match. And I was like, "Oh, June's coming up. Let me, let me rewatch this for a minute." <laughs> and so I, I started rewatching it, and, and then I rewatched the '05 one. And I was like, "Hmm, I know I know Eric's an RVD guy. I think he would appreciate that a little bit more." So I was like, "You know what? I think I can get more out of the." 06 version in the 05. So that, that's why I went with this one. Okay. Uh, and do we have a rating system in place? Yes, come on in, Howard. The following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slumber knocker. And if it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. It will get a show stopper. Thank you, Howard. R.I.P. All right. So I'll go. I, don't, I feel like I usually don't go first. I'll go first in this one just because I feel like my rating is less thought out than usual. Um, 
And this may just be solely for no other reason than my inability to like connect with anything. I'm like not feeling my feelings the way I'm used to. For me, it's just a plain old slobber knocker. Like I watched it. I was like, okay, this is a wrestling show. I was not like moved in any way. I was not, there was no point when I was like really excited about what I was watching. Uh, And that may not really be a commentary on this show as much as it's a commentary on the way I'm feeling. So I'm really curious what your rating is because I'm sure you were able to connect with it in a way that I was unable to. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a high slobber knocker. Now, uh, you kind of get where I'm going with this. Because I know what happens, this show didn't age well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, as you, so basically, in 2005, based off the success of the rise and fall of of ECW, that's where they got the concept for One Night Stand. And then they did a One one Night Stand again in 2006. And then after 2006, it would just get rebranded as WWE One Night Stand for two two or three more years. And this is where the whole Extreme Rules pay-per-view came about. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. And WWE ECW was a complete flop. It really was. First of all, there were rules in WWE ECW, <laughs> so that that I completely killed it all right there. And then, like, then the, the feel wasn't the same. Like they tried to recreate. They tried to have it in smaller venues or whatever. The small stage wasn't a, a lot going on, and they filled it with some of their like older guys. For example. You didn't get Masao Tanaka in WWE CW. You didn't get Mike Awesome in WWE CW. You didn't get Taz Wrestling in WWE CW. The only star you actually made out of this was CM Punk. And you got old WWF guys in there. You had Testa at one point. You had Hardcore Holly in WWE CW. You had uh, Visceral repackaged as Big Daddy V. You had uh, <laughs> Kane eventually in ECW. You had... I said the big show already. Bobby Lashley comes down in WBCW, and but I give I give them credit here. Like they tried at the end of the year in December, they have a pay per view called December to Dismember, which is probably the worst pay per view of all time ever. It, it's not it's not good, and so I thought the show was really good, but I just know that this goes nowhere, and you like you know when. Old stuff resurfaces, how fans come up and like, oh my God, this is up. Oh my God, this is available. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this shit sucked. Mm-hmm. And you guys are excited just, get, just for some likes. Yeah. This was terrible. I, I don't know, like, because a while ago the ECW episodes were on the network for the WWE version. I'm like, you guys can't be serious. This was <laughs> awful. And I just know where it goes and. I like I appreciate the show, but I just know that this was a complete flop, and I'm shocked it lasted five years. Yeah, for me, the the biggest takeaway I have from it is the feeling that was happening in the arena, like it because it did it did feel to me like okay, this is this is the start of us bringing something back. Um, we're going to recapture the magic that this once had, like. The promo that Heyman did at the beginning I thought was excellent. The crowd could not have been more into it. Uh, I even love that he went out of his way to say on behalf of every wrestler, because we obviously know that's a big thing about them not being called wrestlers. I thought the promo was amazing. Uh, And it felt 
it felt real, and it was great to see Paul Heyman out there talking about anything other than Brock Lesnar. So I thought the promo was great. I, I love that the intro package uh, into the show I thought was awesome. Um, and we got Taz and Jerry the King Lawler opening. Uh, King slaps Joey Styles on his way out. Uh, Styles attacks uh, Lawler, and then he succumbs to the, the Taz mission to open the show. Uh, not much of a match, but got to pop out of the crowd, I guess, if nothing else. Um, then Angle versus, uh, the aforementioned Randall Orton, uh, the first real match. Uh, what did you think about Angle versus Orton? Well, I'm glad you brought up the, the new Black Lives Matter activist, yeah. Randy Orton. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I gotta give credit Randy, where credit's due. You know, I, you know, I'm always willing to do that. Randy Orton was the perfect superstar to walk down that ramp because, he is the complete opposite of anything you would see in ECW. Like, good-looking guy, in, in good shape, the physique. Him just walking down the ramp and everybody getting him the finger like he's in House of Hardcore, mm-hmm. as, we, as we've done numer- uh-huh. on numerous occasions to mm-hmm. wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if you saw the little Indian kid. Uh, like, I, I don't know if he pushed him or tapped him or something or just looked at him. And you can kind of see, like, Orion kind of, like, mumbling under yeah. his mouth like you motherfucker yeah. <laughs> like, so he's like trying to keep himself together mm-hmm. and Joey Styles just like shooting on Orton he's like he's a superstar yeah. he's not a wrestler he's a superstar <laughs> and then Randy Orton's fireworks go off he's like fireworks in ECW you know Randy Orton he was just the perfect person to be in ECW now with Kurt Angle this didn't last long because Kurt Angle he'll be out the company completely in, in the next month but i thought the match was fine and like i said i back to the atmosphere like i meant to say in my review the atmosphere was everything it's not compared to the the, the, the show in 2005 but the atmosphere was there especially for a wwe versus ecw brand show and with the whole you can't wrestle you're boring uh chance i thought it was perfect for him and I, I i thought the match was a lot of fun it, it it wasn't a great in-ring match, but I thought the entire atmosphere was there. Cause, but, but they did put a lot of emphasis on Kurt Angle being the wrestler because he was the wrestling machine at this time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he would be going out the company in July. Yeah, I thought I thought it was fine. Um, I'm never really the biggest fan of Randy Orton matches, but I, I love watching Kurt Angle. And you're right. Like, and I think one of the things that that Orton has become known for is like he's very safe. Like, he doesn't really take risks in the ring. Like, you, you remember how big of a deal Rollins made out of it, that he was willing to do that, like, curb stomp RKO. Because it's, like, something Randy Orton mm-hmm. would never try to do. Like, this might end up not working out, so I don't want to do it. So, like, I think he's known for a guy who doesn't take risks, who isn't, who is not extreme. He tries to play it safe. Um, so I, I, do, I do appreciate that uh, comment of he's, like, the anti-ECW guy. Um, the FBI versus Super Crazy and Tajiri, the full-blooded Italians, my brethren. Um, for the, the biggest thing I have out of this, I don't, I don't have a lot of thoughts on the match. Uh, F- FBI gets the win. Um, is Tajiri underrated? Yes, definitely. The reason I ask is because we talk a lot on this show about people being underrated. We've done a whole episode about people being underrated. I don't know that he ever comes up. And there's like this thing where like when people are called underrated, a lot of times they're really not. 
Um, like the fact that everyone thinks you're underrated means everyone thinks very highly of you to a degree. Um, I don't feel like Tajiri's a guy you hear that about. And there was one point when he was on the outside of the ring, like leaning over the ropes, and the camera pans over to his face. And when I just saw the close-up of his face, I smiled. Like, like I love this guy. Like, that was, like, the feeling I had. <laughs> and that was – it just popped in my head. Like, I don't know if this guy is appreciated as much as he should be. I know he had that, like, great little run in the Cruiserweight Classic uh, that we all got excited for. Um, but, yeah, did, did this match do anything for you? No, it didn't. It was – I thought it was primarily to just set up the big show at the end. But – to to jury point, I, he's definitely underrated, and like he's one of the few people that you can get over not speaking English. Mm-hmm. And, and like like him with Regal together was perfect, <laughs> and even like when he was dating Tori Wilson on screen, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was fun too. Like there was a point when he was dating Tori where he was turning heel, and he didn't want her to wear. Uh, her little dresses anymore. He would have her wear like these geisha outfits, mm-hmm. and he got his point across with barely speaking English. Yeah, and I and I and I can and I can really appreciate that. Same, like he he really his face said so much, and I think that's why just seeing that close up of his face, I'm like I I love this guy. Like his face, just there's so much like meaning just that he carries in his face. Uh, Big Show. Took out Big Guido, uh, took out everybody that was in the match afterwards, which is always fun to see, like a prime Big Show, which obviously the last few times we've seen the Big Show, he's you know not really at the, at the top of his game anymore. Uh, we got a JBL promo on ECW criticizing them as a backyard wrestling show. This was you. It was me. Uh, <laughs> not, as, not delivered as well as I would deliver it. Um, <laughs> Not nearly as much charisma as I have, but I laughed. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a good promo. I thought it was like a really good spot to do that promo, like up on the balcony, like looking out over the audience. I thought it was like a really good segment. And there wasn't a lot outside of in-ring action in this show, so I thought that was like a good break from in-ring to get that out-of-ring segment. So I'm I'm assuming you enjoyed the promo by JBL. Yeah, I did too. Uh I did appreciate when they start the "you suck dick" chance. He's like, "There's not a female in this crowd, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're telling me to, that I do this." <laughs> I, I did appreciate that his jab at Taz, but the year prior at One Night Stand, it was actually a theme throughout the night. He actually brought Raw and SmackDown superstars to invade One Night Stand last year, so it's it's a piggyback off of last year. But he was by himself this year. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good place for it. And I thought very effective and got the crowd very riled up, which is always good. Yeah, and last year in, in the 2005 One Night Stand is where Heyman would drop the famous one, the famous line of, the only reason you were champion on SmackDown is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like one of the one of the famous uh, one of the famous Paul Heyman lines um, that led us into Sabu versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about. Rey Mysterio being like ahead of his time uh, and like just now guys have finally like caught up to what Rey Mysterio was doing at least as far as wrestling we were watching in the United States back then um, but also like Sabu I feel like is one of a kind 
Like, I don't think it's that he was ahead of his time necessarily. I just think there's no one else quite like him. Like, if you watch Rey Mysterio, everything he does is, like, very choreographed looking. Like, there's nothing he does where you feel like he's not in control of what he's doing. And I feel like that's what a lot of the super athletic, smaller guys do now. And if you look at guys like AJ Styles and Seth, everything they do is just, like, very fluid. And it all looks like they know exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it in a safe manner. Whereas Sabu did crazy stuff and athletic stuff, but it always looked 100% reckless. Like, he could oh, yeah. he could die or par- get paralyzed, <laughs> anything he did. And I don't know that there's anyone that, like, mixes those two things together, like that athleticism with that recklessness. I don't know. And correct me if there's anyone else. Like, do you, do you can you think of anyone else you'd put, like, in the same class as being like Sabu? No, his nickname is definitely valid because <laughs> th- uh, this entire match, like, I enjoyed this match because this had the old school ECW feel to, EC- to uh, Sabu and ECW original Rey Mysterio a little bit later, but this had that ECW feel, and it was for the world title, so it had that big match feel as well. Didn't have a finish, but I did enjoy the match because I, I, uh, I believe, yeah, Mysterio would drop the title to Booker <laughs> T, and Sabu would go on to face John Cena at Vengeance, which he would lose, and Ray would lose to Booker T. So I, I, I understand why they won with that finish, but with Ray Mysterio, like this was a time where I was kind of like souring Ray Mysterio because they had him doing things he wasn't good at, like mm-hmm. talking. Ray Mysterio is not. Ray Mysterio is not known for talking, and right. I, I prefer Ray Mysterio just being just a high flyer. And that spoke to me more than him actually physically speaking. But yeah, your, your point about Sabu, like especially at, like the DDT spot through the table, I, I, I thought I thought it was a, a, a real fun. Especially the what did he do? Um, the throw the throw in the chairs and mm-hmm. what wait what he kind of wait what did he do? He jumped off the chair into the corner. Yeah. It's like a lot, a lot of physicality. Like I, I like I, I, I do think Sabu's name is definitely valid. Yeah, like I don't, I don't look at, I don't necessarily look at him as underrated because I, I feel like he's a guy who is super respected by wrestling fans. Like anyone who watched him, I think respects him, and I think he has the respect of his peers um, and the people who came after him. I just think like there is no one else that is quite like. Sabu, and I think that's why, like, when you see him, it's like a very special, a very special thing because you're seeing something you don't you don't see anyone else really do the way he does it. Um, and I love the no contest finish. I thought it was like perfect for this type of match between these two guys. Like they threw their bodies at each other, like literally for whatever it was, fifteen, eighteen minutes, and neither one of them could continue. I thought it was a perfect way, like, to end it. So the thing I have in my notes here is, can somebody hire Joey Styles? Um, <laughs> I don't know how, by and large, the, the wrestling fan community looks at Joey Styles, but to me, like, listening to him on this show, I was like, he might actually be my favorite announcer of all time. Really? I, I, there's just something about that, oh my god! And like, the, the way he would be just so over the top reacting to things... I thought he was hysterical. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know why he doesn't have a job in wrestling now. But if you gave me the choice, if if you told me right now, like, there's a match you have to watch next week uh, for the show, I would, if you told me, like, JR, like, Prime JR was announcing it, I'd be excited. 
if you told me Joey Styles was announcing it, I actually would be a little bit more excited. It might be an unpopular opinion, but there's just something about Joey Styles that is so entertaining to me, and I don't know why he's not active in uh, in wrestling announcing anymore. Maybe he doesn't even want to do it anymore. I'm not sure. Uh, but I had so much fun listening to him announce on this show. Um, Mick Foley... Edge and Lita versus Tommy Dreamer, Terry Funk, and Beulah McGillicuddy. Uh, Beulah, Beulah McGillicuddy sounds to me like someone who would be waitressing at an Applebee's in Delaware County. <laughs> she sounds like someone who'd be coming out with a, a plate of riblets in a Delco Applebee's right now. Uh, that Just that name, Beulah McGillicuddy, like I, that's what I picture when I hear that name. Um, they came out though representing Raw, Foley, Edge, and Lita. Foley did the the promo about selling out, um, which I thought was really good. Obviously, that's a crowd that like he's beloved by, and I thought that was like a, a fun promo. Whenever I see Terry Funk, there's one image that comes to mind, and it is of like the bruised kidney after the uh, WrestleMania 14. Really? Tagged. Yeah, like that. I always see. He just makes me uncomfortable to look at. And I just always think about that, like the bruise on his back from getting thrown. I believe it was from getting thrown in the dumpster. Uh, but how funny is it that a guy like Terry Funk has a signature? Like when you see the, when you think of Terry Funk, you see those striped tights. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's so funny to me that he doesn't seem like a guy that would have a signature, but he does. Um, and my only note on this is like, I don't know how anyone ever liked this type of shit. I don't know how I ever liked it because I was just disgusted watching it. How did you feel watching this? Oh God, it was fun. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it. Like 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 I said, the the Raven Stigma Sabu match it had that ECW feel. This had it even more. Be, like first of all, fully trolling the crowd. I loved every second of it. it was like you sold out. Yeah, MSG and. I miss I missed when this place used to have a viable owner, <laughs> Stephanie McMahon. Go Alliance. Uh, <laughs> that that pop be huge. And uh, like I said I said JBL was you, Edge was you. He was <laughs> texting your imaginary girlfriends. Yeah, <laughs> take a look up my girlfriend after the show. I thought that was great. And uh, T- Terry Funk, like you talked. <laughs> You said Terry Funk has the stripes that goes hand in hand with his career. Mm-hmm. I think his age goes hand in hand with his career because he was oh, just yeah. a young, sixty-one years old yeah. at this time. A spry sixty-one. And, I, and like I, I, I gotta admit, how badass was it him coming back with the bandage over his eye, holding up the barbed wire? Unreal. I mean, I completely bandaged up. It was a badass moment. I like I can't take anything away from these guys because I, I really try to always be. At the very least, as much as I could criticize the product and talk about how much I don't enjoy it anymore and how it's not fun for me, I will never disrespect like what these men and women put themselves through to entertain us. Um, and they definitely put themselves through a lot to entertain us on that night in 2006. Holy shit. Uh, maybe more so than they should have or needed to. Yes. But they did. Uh, and yeah, I the- can't. I can't disrespect them for yeah, that. The barbed wire bed, uh, fully going through, well, fully go, get it on fire from the bum, yeah. the two by four, which was, which was set on fire as well. And yeah, I, I thought the match was a lot of fun and there was no perfect way for edge to win. 
And I did appreciate the referee, like, looking at Edge when he was covering. He's like, what the hell are you doing? What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> For her basically, like, humping uh, Beulah. Yeah. That sounds crazy, humping Beulah. It does. <laughs> it does. Humping Beulah after every, after every count. Yeah, but I, I, I thought that match was a lot of fun. And I love your reaction. <laughs> yeah, I, there were points when I wanted to just fast forward it or wanted to turn it off altogether. Uh, but, you know, ended in a good way with Edge doing, like, the missionary-style pinfall on Beulah, I thought was great. Perfect finish to it. Obviously, how could the Rated-R superstar finish that match any different with a truly Rated-R pinfall? Um, yes. The spear on the woman and then pinning her in that fashion. Uh, we got Balls Mahoney versus Masato Tanaka in the Extreme Rules match. Um... Balls Mahoney won with one of the nastiest chair shots you'll ever see. You know, just mangled the yep. chair with that chair shot. Very short match, though. Um, Eugene came out and got chased with a Singapore cane out of ECW by the Sandman. So good. Um, it was, I, I, this might sound like sacrilege for a, for a guy from the Philadelphia area who grew up when I did. I was never the biggest Sandman guy. But, like, this was, like, a nice little blast from the past. Like, this is what the Sandman was. He was not really a wrestler. Like, he was his entrance and then, like, violence. And that, that's pretty much exactly <laughs> what we got. Him bashing his own head in with beer cans and then beating the shit out of somebody with a Singapore cane. Um, and then that leads us to, to the main event. Uh, RVD versus John Cena for the WWF Championship. Um, I love the idea of them painting it as Cena not being able to handle the environment. Like I, there was something about them painting that picture of like almost like a home court advantage for yeah. Rob Van Dam that I really liked. I felt like it really added something to that match. And and the crowd really, to, as much as I like to shit on wrestling fans, like the crowd really played their part in this match. Like I don't know if this match is what it was without the way that that crowd responded. So, crowd was nuts. Um, what are your uh, like? What are your takeaways from this main event? Do you think this was a good main event? And like, what what are your feelings about it now, watching it fourteen years later? Yeah. So, like you said about him, they, them painting it as like a home field advantage, kind of like the Seattle Seahawks twelfth man. It's like how he's how, how is John going to handle this? He's never been in type of an environment. And similar, Randy Orton, John Cena is the prototype no pun intended mm -hmm. wwe guy <laughs> yeah and he's he looks like nothing that would come into ecw so i think i, I think it was perfect and this match was not good um <laughs> it, it wasn't good it's set up for the atmosphere uh i'm sure you got a pop out of everybody throwing cena's shirt back mm -hmm. and the you can't wrestle chance and the, the constant booing and the you fucked up chance yeah. i'm sure you got a pop out of that i did but the match was the match was all basically set up on the home field advantage for RVD. And something that doesn't really age well, now, I, I didn't really look too much into this, but Edge costing Cena the title, because Edge is a WWE guy with WWE versus ECW, mm -hmm. and Edge would and Edge wasn't a more contender at the time, and he would challenge RVD at Vengeance a few weeks later, which he did lose. But he would win the title from RVD on, on the July 4th Raw. RVD wasn't supposed to drop the title then, but he was supposed to drop it to Edge a few weeks later anyway. Yeah. It's a, a Saturday night's main event. So 
I said, I don't think the match was that great, but I, I do think the environment around Cena was what was with was what uh, made this match what it was. Like even like Cena like ho- walking down the ramp and holding the belt up, like I'm representing the WWE. You know, I, I thought the I thought that was the big factors of the match. That was the atmosphere. Other than that, I don't think this match was really that good at all. Yeah, I, I think the atmosphere, the crowd, like I feel like that made it like what it was like you said it wasn't a great match from a technical standpoint but i felt like it was a fun watch because i felt like there was a fun story involved in it. and obviously rvd gets the win uh paul Heyman was the one who came out to make the three count obviously paul which Heyman, is perfect yes yeah, standing victoriously like my guy won this match for me in my company uh, i thought it was great i thought it was like a really great finishing touch on that and then van damme going out like the the hero through the crowd uh, and then coming in and celebrating with the ECW guys after the match. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, also, how funny is it that this group of fans were just shitting on Cena for the entire match and not having any idea that 14 years later he'd still be the biggest name in the wrestling world. <laughs> like, no one else has has matched him yet. And he hasn't even really been there for two years. And he's still bigger than anybody else currently in the industry. Um but yeah, I thought it was a fun main event. I, I loved the the kind of storytelling of it. Loved the way it felt. And so I, I said the beginning of the show felt like they're trying. They're like recapturing something that used to be. And when this show ended, it felt like it had the feeling of like, okay, we we started a movement here. Like we're back. Like this is back. And obviously it wasn't. But when that show ended, it, it felt like it. It felt like oh, they yeah. they had had brought ECW back for real. Oh yeah, um, which I thought was cool. Like the fact that you could end uh, in that way with that feeling, I, just, I thought was like a great ending to the show. Uh, yeah. So overall, like I said, I didn't connect to it in a way I would have liked to, or a way that I'm even capable of right now. But I did, I did enjoy it. Um, I don't know that I'd ever go back and watch it again, but like I had fun, and I've had I've had fun discussing it. Any like final thoughts about One Night Stand 06? Yeah, similar to, similar to what you just said, I think they did do a great job of setting it up. We all know WWE is good at setting up a debut for something. Well, that's debut for a television show, not a superstar. But but I, I think they got their point across. Like I said at the, the top of the show, I don't think me knowing where everything goes, it didn't really age well because it wasn't what their ECW was. And they just filled it in with WWE guys, older WWE guys. And they brought a new face to the ECW. Like you got Kevin Thorne, you had Elijah Burke, Matt Stryker, who's looking for, do you know he's on, on some reality show now? I did not know that. No. Uh, looking to get somebody pregnant, but that's a story for another day. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had it. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get in on the act. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, Matt Stryker, Elijah Burke, and Kevin Thorne, and they, and like uh, Mike Knox, and like they tried, but it just wasn't. It just wasn't it. And you know, granted, they 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 did attempt to give some guys a platform. Like the Miz had a small platform. Uh, Kelly Kelly was brought up in ECW. Um, John Moore, John Johnny Nitro became Johnny Johnny uh, John Morrison in ECW, but it just didn't hit. And like I said, I'm shocked it lasted long long as it did. But it did give guys that we know 
if you want to count this as a world title, some title runs such as like Mark Henry, that was his first main title, Matt Hardy, uh, Bobby Lashley, Christian, Jack Swagger, but it just wasn't ECW. It was just uh, at, at certain time, certain things just become brand names, and yeah. ECW was just a brand name. Yeah, without any like real like power behind it anymore. Like it, it wasn't the thing that it used to be. Um, so I don't know. I don't have any other final thoughts other than like for my first like. First time dipping my toe back into wrestling, I think, since right after WrestleMania. I don't remember what we reviewed. Was it Backlash something? No, you weren't here for that. I think the last thing I think the last show you were here for was me and you did the draft. I maybe think that, that was, was a, maybe that was the last one. I, I did one show after WrestleMania. So for like my first dipping the toe back in in quite some time, thought it was a good show to to, to jump into. I had fun uh Watching it, fun talking about it. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to really add. Uh, Alo, is there any merch you'd like to move before we close it out? Yes, what a maneuver net to embrace the madness. All right, so uh, if you're listening to this and you happen to like MMA, give a listen to your boy Elroy podcast featuring uh, our good buddy and co-host of the Matt Madness podcast, uh, Josh Prepagina, as well as Andre Rodriguez. Um Black Lives Matter, I guess that'll be the the last thing I say before I say, for my good friend, uh, Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo, the ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd, I am Ron Pashery Jr., and we will see you next week. Got him now, put him down right now, hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans marking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the mission, man. It ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.